What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dr. Joey Munoz Show. This week's episode is actually going to be from an interview that I did with my friends Dr. Adam Hotchkiss and Josh Lewis over on their podcast, The Atlas Hour. We talked about a ton of stuff, including nutrition for fat loss, hypertrophy training, and even social media fitness culture. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Atlas Hour. This is episode 18, I think. Uh, special guest today, Dr. Joey. Is it Munoz? Munoz? Yeah. How do yeah. you pronounce Munoz. that? Munoz. Munoz. All right. Do you like Joey or Joseph? Either of those are fine. For some weird reason, I don't like Joe too much because I think it just sounds a little too serious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you as Dr. Joey, basically, as uh, you guys will, will put his Instagram handle here, but... Um, for those of our listeners, or those for those listeners who don't maybe know who you are, maybe you could give a little bit of background as uh, to you know what you do now and and how you got there, like schooling and everything. You know, we called you a doctor there, so is it MD, PhD? You know, what's your doctorate in? Yeah, I'm I'm the fake kind of doctor. I have no. my PhD in nutrition science. <laughs> that's that's actually the real doctor. Yeah, that's not a physician. Yeah, not most people. Most people think it's MD, right? But anyways, I have my PhD in nutrition sciences. I uh, got both my undergraduate and graduate degrees at Florida State University. Um, graduated with my PhD in 2020. The focus of my research there, we really looked at like functional foods and, and chronic disease prevention in the lab that I worked in. So we looked, we did a lot of work with like black beans and cardiovascular health, fiber, obviously. Um, different fruits and their effects on bone health because my PhD mentor really uh, a lot of his work was on bone health and preventing osteoporosis in, in postmenopausal women. And anyways, that wasn't really, I mean, it was good clinical experience. I really enjoyed my time there, but that wasn't really what I was really passionate about. I ended up working in that lab because I had a really great relationship with the professor. So for me, I, I chose the route of like choosing a really good mentor versus picking a particular area of research, right? Because I was like, if I'm going to work with this person for four to five years. Uh, I better make sure I get along with them. Uh, so after that, I did a, a six-month postdoc in like a, a sports nutrition lab under Dr. Michael Ormsby. Um, unfortunately, that was right when COVID was starting. So all of our research was shut down. So most of the work I did was uh, like analyzing data and stuff like that, but I didn't have much clinical experience there. And then after that, I've been uh, full-time coaching with Team BioLane. So Lane Norton is one of the people who I've like admired since I was in high school, pretty much, because he's been around for what, like 20 years now, mm -hmm. yeah. like the bodybuilding.com forum days. And I used to read his stuff there. And one day I was listening to one of his podcasts and it was like one of his motivational talks. And he was like, if you want something, go for it. Ask for what you want. Like, so I just sent him an email. <laughs> like the rest is history, really. We just got along from there, kicked it off, told him when I finished my PhD, I'd love to um, be part of his team. So he offered me a position coaching. I've been coaching now for the past two and a half years. Uh, I also was a personal trainer for about two years during my master's degree as well. Uh, so I had some experience there. And then aside from coaching, well, my main focus with coaching is really body composition improvement. Uh, I really focus on developing healthy habits and, and healthy lifestyle of people. I thought originally I wanted to work with like competitive bodybuilders and stuff like that because that's what I really liked doing personally. But then I found it just much more rewarding seeing somebody who has never really focused on their health be able to really improve their health with just like very small habits, right? Things that pro probably you guys and I take for granted um, and people who have never really focused on these things are like, oh, this is life-changing, right? Even just like 
having structured meals, focusing on protein and fiber, resistance training, et cetera. So that's mainly the population that I work with. Um, and then aside from that, I am the scientific advisor for Outwork Nutrition, which is our supplement company. So I help uh, with the formulation of all of our new products. And that's a, a like two minute synopsis of, of me and what I do. That's awesome, man. I didn't realize that your um, your PhD was in more of that preventative type stuff because that's kind of a lot of our focus now, like um, Atlas and Merrick too. Like we've kind of taken the approach that current um, medicine as it is is much more reactive, and you know there needs to be a bigger focus on preventative, and that's a lot of what we talk about, which is much more nuanced than you know, of course, like general recommendations that you give more, you know. I yeah. didn't really know you had that background. That's super cool. I'm going to have to pick your brain on that sometime. Yeah. So my PhD dissertation specifically, I can tell you guys the whole story, dude. I, I went back and forth in pro between projects because of a bunch of like internal issues, essentially in the department. But my PhD dissertation was um, looking at some particular mechanisms as to how dried plums, so prunes, mm -hmm. can actually be really beneficial for preventing bone loss as you age. Uh, which seems like a super niche, like unique topic. But my professor has been or had studied like, the effects of prunes for like over a decade. Uh, he had done a couple of research in postmenopausal women, uh, has seen some, some benefits there. It's not that prunes are magically going to improve your bone density, but they do seem to attenuate the rate of bone loss as you age. And so we saw improvements in like markers of osteoblast activity, et cetera. And so I was actually looking at trying to figure out what the particular mechanism was. And spoiler alert, it didn't really figure out anything. But uh, <laughs> there's some interaction between osteoblast activity and, and macrophages, which are immune cells. And I wanted to see if perhaps certain compounds in the prunes influenced the like inflammatory cytokines secreted by some of these macrophages. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a shot in the dark because my previous dissertation project was terminated for some really shitty reasons. Uh, so this is kind of like a project that I, I picked up last minute um, so that I could graduate on time. That's <laughs> the, the politics of academia that people don't know. It's very yeah. complex. Hence, yeah. while not in academia, I actually really wanted to be in academia at first because I really enjoy teaching. Like the classroom environment is great. Interacting with students is great. I feel like it's, it's um, not a monotonous job at all because you're kind of doing something different every day. But the politics of it, man, steered me away like completely. It's crazy. Yeah. When I saw like, you just have to, excuse the language, kiss ass essentially, right? To certain people. Right. I was like, no, this is, I'm not about this at all. And so yeah. that's why I'm not doing that anymore. And so just that so we can move past your research, but I'm now fascinated. The it's, there's a correlation uh, between improved bone density or epidemiological studies that show that prune and bone health go that coincide, but you couldn't figure out the mechanistic reason as to why is that? Basically well, not even epidemiology, epidemiology, like actual clinical research, like outcomes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, gotcha. so my point of view is like, well, let's maybe try to figure out why this is occurring. Right. And essentially the, the mechanisms that I was looking at up to now doesn't seem to be like the, the reason why. Um, but we, we have definitely seen that over a six and 12 month period, just 50 to hundred grams of prunes, which is like five to 10 prunes per day um, can help attenuate bone loss after the age of 50 in particular. That's super cool. I mean, that seems, that sounds like something that, you know, somebody in like the more evidence-based community now would frown upon, you know, it's like, no bigger picture, like calories in calories out. It's all, 
Um, but it's yeah, interesting yeah. to hear that, you know, because there is a lot of this nuanced stuff and yeah. um, some little things can help. I think that's well, cool. there's particular compounds in a lot of fruits and vegetables that aren't necessarily vitamins or minerals, right? That have mm -hmm. this logical effects. One of the things is like prunes is one of the highest uh, fruits in boron. And boron has an important role in bone health. Sure. And it's nothing magical about prunes. It's just like you can't really get a lot of boron from a lot of other foods, right? And they're yeah. also pretty high in, in uh, particular phytoestrogens uh, that have effects on bone health. And people might be thinking phytoestrogen, bad estrogen, blah, blah, blah. But like estrogen obviously has some very important roles in our physiology. And one of those roles is in bone health. And women in particular, right? When you age, you lose estrogen. And that's mm -hmm. one of the mechanisms by which you lose uh, bone density. And it's more pronounced in women than men, but estrogen also plays an important role in bone health in men as well. Yeah. Man, this is cool. Are prunes normally um, grown and produced in the US or in other parts of the world? Do you know? I could, I think a large amount of them are produced in California. I could mm. be wrong about that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of it is in California. Yeah, the when you mentioned boron, I just thought it was interesting because I know in the U.S. a lot of our soils are depleted from boron due to the single like cropping and all mm. of the cropping that we do. So I know other countries have higher levels of boron, and that may be to, that may explain why other countries have higher levels of testosterone since boron has a suppressive effect on SHBG. Um, just kind of interesting because the U.S. is testosterone is declining more and more. Yeah, and one of the theories is that maybe it has to do with boron not being as abundant in the soil as it once was. So kind of interesting. Well, I, didn't, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So I think that's uh, obviously I could spend all day talking about that more nuanced stuff. But I think uh, where you really specialize is kind of giving people actionable tools to meet their health goals or physique goals. You know, those kind, those two always aren't always interchangeable for sure. Yeah. But um, I think you like to be the person where. There's a lot of noise out there right now from every direction. Be vegan, don't eat any vegetables, you know, eat whatever you want, only calories. And I feel like you and Lane and your team have yeah. kind of tried to synthesize out the actual useful stuff, more of the signal and all the noise. And so instead of like getting too into the minutia and the details, I hope that maybe you could just give our guests, like for those people listening who are just starting out on their voyage, who what? they're like, Okay, it's cool to hear about SHBG and boron, but where do I start? Because, you know, I, I've been 30 pounds overweight and my doctor now tells me I'm pre-diabetic. Uh, so how do you start with somebody uh, who's never worked out? You know, they, they're basically maybe say they're 30 and they went and got their physical. And like I said, they're pre-diabetic. Um, they're, they're told their lipids are kind of skewed. They know they've got their love handles that they want to work off. Yeah. Where's a good place to start? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, man. And I, I want to share a little bit here of my experience because sometimes people are like, why should I listen to this guy, right? And sure, I have the education, but like I've experienced a lot of these things throughout my life as well. I'm pretty young still, but when I was 13 or 14 years old, I was pretty much obese, like 2% body fat away from being obese. So I was a very overweight child, even though I had a healthy diet because I come from a Hispanic background. My parents are Cuban. We always ate homemade food, rice, beans, protein, like pretty overall healthy diet, right? But obviously calories matter. So I ate a lot as a kid and I was pretty overweight. So I, I dealt with the negative consequences of being, um, of like feeling bad in school about my body image and stuff like that. And then I went the complete opposite because both of my parents were into fitness. So I went completely into fitness, uh, you know, was chugging protein shake as soon as I got done with my last set at the gym and also followed a bunch of like the trendy stuff of like, I don't know, 
all of the nutrition myths. I've done a lot of them and I used to really think they were true. And I'm sure maybe some of you guys can relate to this too, right? And the camera then, cut off there, Joey. My camera? Oh, you're back. Yeah, but you're back. Oh, okay. Did you Where see did that, I... Josh? Yes, I did. It might have just all been right. on your end. Yeah, Where did I just keep going? No, you were, your audio was all good. Oh, okay. So, so I'll just go back to what I was saying, you know, and then I, I took the complete opposite route going into fitness, uh, fell for a bunch of the current nutrition myths, you know, thinking carbohydrates are bad or the fact that you have to have a protein shake immediately after lifting, you know, the, the plethora of, of different nutrition and training uh, myths. And then after going through my education and years of practical experience, I am where I am now, where I've experienced like both sides of the, uh, the equation, really. And I'm kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, so a lot of the recommendations that I share with my clients are evidence-based, but also my own practical experience, right? And to answer the question directly, if I were to give recommendations, actionable recommendations to somebody who is just starting off in terms of focusing on their health. And this, this is, it's funny because my degree is in nutrition, but before even focusing on nutrition, I would say, pick up some sort of physical activity. Mm -hmm. uh, more importantly than anything for a number of reasons. One, if you're physically inactive, weight loss is really hard because it's going to feel, oops, you're good. You guys, okay. Okay. Because if you, if you do start on the nutrition side of things and you're trying to reduce your caloric intake, it's going to be really difficult because if you're pretty sedentary, your energy expenditure is more than likely really low. Right. And that's why some people argue that it's really hard for them to lose weight, but they feel like they're starving when they're losing weights because their starting energy expenditure is so low that reducing calories further isn't necessarily the smartest idea. And a lot of people who, who are overweight like, are pretty sedentary, right? They might be walking, I don't know, 2,000 steps a day. I have clients when I start with them, they walk 2,000 steps per day. And that's, I get that in like the first two, three hours of my day, yeah. right? And don't really do any intentional exercise. So I always like to start with intentional movement. It doesn't even have to be very intense. The goal is to get to do uh, intense movements like resistance training or some hard, hard types of cardio over time. But starting off, I just like to, to give everybody a general step recommendation, right? And I do like to start with at least five or 6,000 steps per day. I think that's a really good starting place for somebody who's sedentary. And then uh, taking steps to actually be accountable, right? Keep track of the behaviors you're trying to achieve. That's one of the best ways to actually accomplish the things you want to accomplish. I might say, I don't know, I want to floss my teeth every day before bed, but if I don't actually keep myself accountable, it doesn't really matter, right? So whether you have like a little tracker on your fridge where you like cross off if you, took, if you did your steps of the day or not, whether you have a fitness tracker, the method of tracking doesn't matter, but you should have a method of tracking the behaviors you want to uh, develop. And the first thing I would say is start with some sort of physical activity for most people just walking more because it's a very direct measurement, right? And then aside from that, ideally picking up resistance training maybe two or three times per week. Again, doesn't have to be anything intense, just learning about resistance training, doing some full body workouts, very simple, basic stuff. Why am I biased towards resistance training? Because most people have body composition goals, right? People who want to lose weight, even if it's from, even if it's from a health perspective, they do want to look better. Right. If you're not doing any resistance training, you can argue that weight loss itself is beneficial, but not as beneficial because you're losing a good degree of lean mass as well. Right. Because a heavier body requires more lean mass to walk around. If you lose weight, you weigh less, you lose some of that lean mass. And so you're not optimizing your body composition to have uh, higher levels of energy expenditure, for example, which you would 
if you focus on resistance training and building muscle, right? So the resistance training component is really to help improve body composition, which then makes fat loss easier. So I would definitely start with the physical activity component. Now, once we've nailed that down, and honestly, I don't just do one and then the other, we kind of develop things simultaneously, but I really don't think there's much benefit of just focusing on nutrition without physical activity. Whereas if somebody was just going to focus on one thing, I think you would get a lot of benefit uh, from focusing just on physical activity and then developing nutrition habits after. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, real, the real big benefit of physical activity too, and this is something my buddy Adrian Chavez brought up, you might um, follow him on social media too, mm -hmm. that starting with physical activity, it's like immediately rewarding, right? You do some exercise, you feel good about it. Uh, perhaps that trickles into other positive behaviors. Whereas nutritional changes do not have an immediate reward, right? It's like you go from eating pleasurable foods to less pleasurable foods, like not that rewarding, right? Um, but on the nutrition side of things, I really do think the, there's, there's two or three things I like to help clients develop simultaneously on the nutrition side of things. One is having a regular meal schedule, right? It helps you prepare, helps you stay on top of your plan. And if we look at the evidence, there's really good evidence that meal regularity seems to be an important variable for weight loss regulation, right? People who have meals at similar times every day, and there's nothing, there's no magical effect about that, but it's just the fact that it makes energy balance easier, helps you prepare ahead of time, right? And people who have similar sized meals, for example, their breakfasts are usually about the same size, 600, 700 calories. Their lunches are about the same size, their dinners about the same size. Uh, it's just about consistency, regularity, right? So developing regularity with your meal schedule. And ideally, you have similar sized meals at each of your meals, essentially. So evenly spacing out your food throughout the day. And then aside from that, it's really transitioning into a more whole foods-based diet. And the degree to, I mean, ideally, we would say that the best thing you can do is like exclusively eat whole foods. But we know that that's not realistic, right? Right. And so it really does come down to finding a balance between like how many of these foods should be, you be including and then how many quote unquote fun foods is what I like to call them. Can you include in your diet while still making progress toward your goals? That's going to be different for everybody, right? I can pretty much have like ice cream and pizza probably on a daily basis and maintain my physique because I'm really active. Other people can't do that. And it, that is like on a per person basis that you have to figure out, right? But working towards more whole foods, food diet, whole food based diet. And then making sure each of your meals has good quantity of protein. For most people, about a fistful of protein is probably appropriate in each of your meals. Serving the two fruits and vegetables, and then just filling up the rest of your plate with whatever is necessary to, to, to meet your energy needs, right? And honestly, if somebody can successfully develop those behaviors, move more, lift weights, eat on a regular basis the majority of the time, eat mainly whole foods, focus on protein and fiber, they're probably in a really good place to um, start improving their health, even without tracking their calories, right? I do like my clients tracking calories. From a coaching perspective, it gives me objective feedback. And I do think there are many lessons that you learn from tracking that you don't really learn otherwise, right? Like just having an eye for what's a, too, uh, an appropriate serving, what may be too big, what may be too small. Those things you don't really learn unless you track. But if you develop those behaviors, you could probably lose weight without tracking. Right. And tracking really becomes more important the leaner you get and the like if you're trying to take your physique to that next level, essentially. Um, but that's really where I would start, man. Awesome. Uh, we just did a whole episode on fat loss recently. So hopefully our our listeners understand what calories are and stuff, but it might be good for newer listeners to hear 
from you what essentially is a calorie and then why do they matter? Um, you know, I'm sure somebody thought, oh, it was all carbohydrates. What are, what are these? You know, I thought carbs were bad. Uh, can you explain maybe why you talk about calories and what energy balance is and, and thermodynamics a little bit? Sure, sure, sure. So great question, man, because oftentimes people confuse like calories with food choices, right? As if they are two separate variables and really they're related variables, right? All foods have calories and the foods you eat can also influence the amount of calories you consume. They can also influence the amount of calories you burn, right? So calories, why do they matter? What are calories? Calories are not a physical, tangible thing, right? Like proteins, carbohydrates, fats. Those are things in foods. You can, those are actual physical things in foods, right? Calories are just a unit of measurement. So the same way that I would say I'm six feet, five inches, I'm a tall person. <laughs> six feet, feet are a unit of measurement, right? I weigh 220 pounds. Pounds are a unit of measurement. Uh, calories are just a unit of measurement for energy. So they tell you how much energy is in your food. Calories just happens to be the uh, standard unit of energy, right? You could measure in watts, kilowatts, whatever. There's a ton of different uh, units of measurements for energy, and you can measure the energy in food using any of those units of measurements, but we just happen to use calories, right? So calories tell us how much energy is in your food. So when people say, and I understand where this saying comes from, but a calorie is not a calorie. I understand what they're trying to say, but it, it, it adds but it confusion. Is. It, it is, right? A calorie is a calorie. That doesn't mean that's eating. That would be like, you know, like, well, six feet isn't six feet because you can be six feet and obese or you can be six feet and lean. But at the end of the day, you're like, no, it's still six feet. It didn't change due to the yeah, when yeah. it came in. Yeah. The example I like to use is like a pound of feathers or a pound of bricks. Right? Yeah. Like, there's still yeah. a pound. A pound is a unit of measurement. Sure, the quantity is vastly different, but it's still a pound, right? Yeah. And so if you consume... 500 calories of one food, quote unquote, a healthy food or 500 calories, uh, a quote unquote, unhealthy food, energetically, they're very similar, right? Now, physiologically, there can be some differences. Obviously, the more uh, processed foods are more palatable, so you're more likely to eat more of it. But if you count your calories and you're strict, you can argue that the physiological effects, so the effects on weight loss or weight gain are pretty similar. Right? I say pretty similar because protein, fiber, things like that actually slightly increase your energy expenditure, but it's not much. right? And so why do calories matter? Well, it's the concept of energy balance, right? How many calories you consume versus how many calories you expend because your body burns calories every day to keep you alive, to move. You burn calories digesting food. Everything that you do requires energy. If you didn't have any energy, you die, right? So you get energy from your food. You burn energy through everything you do throughout the day. And so weight gain or weight loss in its most basic concept is an equation of energy intake relative to energy expenditure. If you consume excess energy, AKA more calories than your body burns, you store those as body fat. Why? Because that's an evolutionary advantage, right? Thankfully nowadays we have food and we don't have to worry about it. At least most of us here in the US don't have to worry about it. But if you didn't have the ability to store fat, I don't know, 500 or 1,000 years ago, don't quote me on the timeline, <laughs> um, you would die, right? Because you go through, through periods of famine. So being able to store body fat is a huge evolutionary advantage. It's actually very beneficial that we don't just like, I don't know, excrete those calories through feast or whatever it may be, right? It's actually a huge advantage. 
But in a world where we have excess food and highly palatable foods, perhaps it can become a disadvantage for some people, right? And the opposite is true too. If you eat less calories than your body burns, your body still needs that energy from somewhere, right? So if you eat, I don't know, 2,000 calories and you burn 2,500 calories, those additional 500 calories still have to come from somewhere. So they're going to come from stored sources. Ideally, preferable uh, is coming from body fat, right? So ideally, your body's going to burn body fat to get those 500 calories. That's where you're storing excess energy. But some of it is going to come from other areas too, like lean tissue, right? And there are techniques to or, or strategies to help mitigate how much lean tissue you'd lose while losing weights. But we could talk about those later. But that's why energy balance really matters, right? And then saying that energy balance matters does not mean that food choices don't matter because I like to think of this as like a pyramid, right? Where the base is energy balance. That's the most important variable for weight loss, but there are variables on top of that. And they all influence each other that are also as important, right? Um, food choices, I would say is the next step up food choices and macronutrients, right? There's plenty of evidence that when people eat more whole foods, they eat less calories for a number of reasons. Those foods are more satiating, right? Whole foods tend to be higher in protein and fiber. More processed foods tend to be higher in dietary fat and refined carbohydrates like sugar, right? And again, those nutrients are not inherently fattening. It's the fact that they're a lot easier to overconsume, right? Everybody can put down um, a salad. No big deal, I can stop eating that. But it's really hard to stop eating some Cheetos or some ice cream, right? And again, it's because those foods, they're, they're made in a certain way so that they're really tasty, right? Like companies want to sell their food, so they make them taste really good. So they're harder to put down. That's really the main downside of highly processed foods. It's not that they're inherently dangerous or anything like that. So the foods that you consume influence your calories. It's not one or the other. They're both incredibly important for a long-term sustainable fat loss plan. Exactly. That's awesome. I think it was a really good, really good explanation. Um, and so does it... I guess you've kind of answered, but, you know, like I said in the outset, so many people think, well, for some reason, a carbohydrate calorie is essentially mm -hmm. maybe worse than a, a protein calorie, but it's not the case. As you just explained, you no know, calories are calories. Yeah. And so theoretically, if you ate nothing but carbohydrates and you were below your threshold of calories, you could continue to lose weight. And the conversely could be said, you know, if you were in that excess, you would gain weight. And it really doesn't matter about the, the nutrient. Yeah. Um, do you ever utilize uh, not just um, calorie reducing? I mean, in the end, it's all calorie reducing. But do you ever utilize things like time restricted eating or removing a macronutrient? Um, you know, do you ever utilize those with your clients? Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to touch on something you mentioned quickly about carbohydrates because that's like what people demonize the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that for most people, higher carbohydrate diet is actually ideal. Uh, not it doesn't have to be like super high carbohydrate diet or anything like that, but I'm definitely personally not a big fan of the low carb diet. And I followed low carb diets before. Yeah. Uh, higher carbohydrate diets, especially if your carbohydrates are coming from whole food sources, are going to be very satiating. Because one of the one of the mechanisms by which we induce satiety, and satiety is just essentially the 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 feeling of fullness, right? The opposite of hunger is volume right? How much you eat in a meal. Yep. And so a low calorie meal can be more satiating if it's very voluminous. Mm -hmm. so have a big meal because there's stretch receptors in our stomach, right? And how much our stomach stretches uh, 
essentially signals to our brain that we're either fully full or hungry, right? So if you have a meal that stretches your stomach more, it can perhaps help you stay full for a little bit longer. And carbohydrate-containing foods just tend to be more voluminous than fat-containing foods on a per-calorie basis because fats have nine calories per gram and carbs have four calories per gram, right? Exactly. And then aside from the volume perspective, fiber, if you're consuming fiber-containing carbohydrates, fiber is like one of the most satiating nutrients right up there with protein, right? So for most people, like for a well-balanced diet, I highly recommend not eliminating, eliminating carbohydrates. Even people talk, people talk about like, I don't know, carbs make me crash and this and that. And like maybe just eating a ton of sugar and maybe you're not doing other things that you should be doing. But like, I don't recommend a low carb diet for most people, especially also for people who care about body composition because there's pretty good evidence that carbohydrates are very important for performance. Yep. And if you want to build muscle, your performance is really important. You have to be able to train hard and you have to be able to progress. And if you're not having carbohydrates, you're just not going to really feel all that fueled in the gym, right? And there's pretty good evidence that like low carb diets don't necessarily impact strength, but they do seem to impact strength endurance. So if you're yes. doing a workout for like an hour, hour and a half, you're going to crash 30 minutes in. I think perhaps you guys have all experienced this, right? Maybe if you work out fasted, your first two or three sets in the gym probably feel pretty good. But like you like crash quickly, right? So carbohydrates are important from that perspective. Now, with my clients, do I use other tools like time-restricted feeding, calorie cycling, et cetera? The answer is yes. I... My whole theory and perspective on this is like, I educate my clients that from a evidence-based standpoint, some of these strategies aren't necessarily more beneficial than just traditional caloric restriction, but it does make things easier for some people, right? Like from a psychological perspective, some people just rather eat for less time than have smaller meals, right? Exactly. I'm one of those people. I can easily skip breakfast. And again, for most of my clients, I recommend having breakfast because the evidence shows that in general population, people who have breakfast have better body composition outcomes. But I find it easy to just skip breakfast, right? And that way I just eat less throughout the day. So it does come down to client preference and it's a conversation that we have. I would never tell somebody like, hey, just do this, just intermittent right. without like any background conversation, right? 100%. But if the person feels like, having small meals is really difficult for them and they're just kind of hungry. I'm like, hey, how about we maybe try developing this behavior where you eat for less total time so you can enjoy higher, uh, like larger meals. There has to be a reason for it. But yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. And then things like calorie cycling, for example. Some clients can go eight to 12 weeks on a moderate deficit and be fine. No issues with adherence. Other clients can't, right? And so with other clients, I've used more intense um, deficits for a short period of time, followed by a week at maintenance, right? And then they really look forward to that week. And the fact that they look forward to it makes it easier for them to adhere to the deficit for like two or three weeks, right? So it just really comes down to client preference, man. These are all, the way I like to think about it is like, these are all just tools, right? Yeah. And pick the tools that help weight loss feel the easiest for you. Are you tired of spending countless hours grocery shopping, cooking, and preparing your meals? I get it. Time is precious, and that's where Icon Meals 
comes into play. I've partnered with Icon Meals to bring you delicious, macro-friendly, and high-protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals. I understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home. But let's face it, how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways? With Icon Meals, you not only save time, but you invest in your health. These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit iconmeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code JOSEPH10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose Icon Meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. Because at the end of the day, we always talk about how like things shouldn't feel super restrictive and they shouldn't, mm -hmm. but restriction is necessary, right? You have to restrict something, you have to change something. And ideally you pick the form of restriction that feels easiest to you. Mm -hmm. right? For somebody that might be time restricted eating, for somebody that might be calorie cycling, for somebody that might just be, you know, consistent calorie deficit because there's somebody who is very habitual. And so their work schedule is the same, their life schedule is the same. So they they want their eating schedule to always be the same, right? Right. They, people go out on the weekends every weekend and they rather be very structured during the week and then eat more on the weekend. It just depends on the person or lifestyle and personal preferences. But yes, I do use those types of strategies. One thing I do not do with any client personally is completely removing a, a macronutrient because I, I don't really think it's necessary, right? Like, right. you don't want to completely remove protein. We know you don't want to completely remove <laughs> carbs and fats. You don't want to completely remove fats because yeah. fats are essential for optimal hormone function, for example, and a whole host of other physiological uh, uh, effects. And from my perspective, you don't want to eliminate carbohydrates either because they're very important as well. Um, yeah, I agree. No, not against anybody following a lower carb diet. That's their preference, right? But it has to be because that's, what the client's preference is. I would mm -hmm. never blank blanket statement say follow this kind of diet for no reason. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly what I wanted to get out to is I don't I hate the blanket statements for anybody. And whenever anybody asks me, you know, what should I do? It's so hard. And that's where having a, a coach can get into that with you because you need to develop what works best for you because all of these things work. There's yeah. no denying that a keto diet works, sure. But is it the best for you? I would argue like you, I, I really wouldn't ever want to pull out a nutrient, which would normally be carbohydrates, simply due to the fact that almost nobody that I know of could adhere to it long term. Yeah. And I'll always tell people that if you don't see yourself doing this for five years with ease, like without ever questioning it, you know, don't do it. Because inevitably, the time is going to come up where you got the birthday party and the cake comes by and you want a piece of it. Now, if you're somebody who was just like, I never want a carb and it would be the easiest thing in the world for me. Carbs make me throw up even thinking about them. Sure. But I don't think that person exists, yeah, you know? <laughs> and so it's, uh, I'll usually tell people just if I'm giving broad recommendations first, make sure you get an adequate protein in. Yeah. And then after that, fill in your carbohydrates and your fats accordingly to meet your overall calories. And then I think it is important for people to learn how many calories are eating and, and everything. But there are some who are just like, you know, I don't want to that focus on the amount of calories. And then that's where like time restricted eating can be beneficial. Like, yeah. Hey, maybe we just eat within this period. And some people like you will be like, that's super easy for me. Actually, I don't even get hungry until three. Perfect. Cause you're just by default going to end up probably lowering your calories. You're probably not going to fit in 4,000 calories between three and seven. You know, it's pretty yeah. rare for most people. 
Yeah. Yeah. And some people do. But yeah, I mean, I could. <laughs> I could too. Yeah. So I've had to, you know, we all had to figure out our own things. And I'm the same with you on carbohydrates. Like when I, I don't really care about my body composition now. And probably like the three of us have all gotten to a point where we can maintain our level of leanness that we're happy with without even yeah. thinking, you know. But when I cared and I was really actively into bodybuilding and staying shredded all the time, I actually use carbohydrates as my tool, like you said, due to the volume. Yeah. Um, you know, I discussed on our fat loss one, like if you take a scoop of peanut butter, if you take 100 calories of peanut butter versus 100 calories of white rice, like I'm picking the white rice because I'm going to get full on that. I'm going to enjoy eating it. A peanut butter is literally one bite and then those calories are hit, yeah. you know. And then you can get into the argument of like de novo lipogenesis with fat versus carbohydrates, mm -hmm. where I've always found it so baffling that people say that fats or carbohydrates somehow turn into fat. I'm like, it seems like even from a layman's perspective, like turning fat into fat seems a lot easier than turning the starchy yeah. thing into fat, you know, yeah. and, and that's getting pretty nuanced. But just to say that <clears throat> carbohydrates are certainly in no way inherently fattening, you could actually yeah. make the argument against that. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I wanted to quickly touch on like the fact that, you know, because now people might be thinking we're listening to this, like, oh, these different strategies, I need to try them out. Right. Mm. Again, these different strategies do not cause weight, weight loss outside of energy. Mm. Balance, right. Right. So it's like energy balance is the overarching theme and all mm -hmm. of these different things influence or can influence energy balance because they also can cause weight gain, right? Like intermittent right. fast, you can still eat a ton. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, these are all tools that you can also pull out intermittently, right? You don't have to intermittently fast always. But for example, once a month, and this is something I schedule with all of my buddies here in Tampa, uh, sushi is my favorite food. I don't go to sushi restaurants because I would spend 200 bucks eating sushi. <laughs> it's very easy to do. <laughs> like 25 bucks for a roll, like, come on, I'm easily eating six or seven rolls. Yep, yep. There's a fantastic all-you-can-eat sushi spy out there. That's like 35 bucks and it's like 20 minutes away. So we go there once a month. I don't usually follow time-restricted eating. Like 99% like of the time I don't, but on that day I do. <laughs> and I'll pretty much wake up, have a well-balanced breakfast, and go train, and I won't eat till 6 or 7 p.m. And then we'll go there and I'll easily destroy 3,000, 4,000 calories. Mm -hmm. So even though I am time-restricted eating, by no means am I in a deficit. I'm probably yeah. definitely overeating on that day. But it like lessens the blow by the fact that I skip lunch and like kind of have a lighter breakfast, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, that's just a tool that I pull out on that particular day so that I'm not going like super overboard. So these are yeah. all things you can just like use at your disposal uh, or that are at your disposal for whenever you feel like they're appropriate to implement to help you get to wherever you want to get to. Yeah. yeah. It's hard too, because even with that, you could make the argument, like, maybe that's not the best thing for people to do because it's almost like a disordered eating, but you are to that point where it's healthy for you. But I'm sure you wouldn't tell your client like, oh, don't eat all day because you're going to that party. You would just tell them, go to the party and, and eat yeah. and, you know, be happy. And tomorrow's another day and you'll be back on your, your course, you know? So it's very nuanced and there's so much psychology that goes into nutrition. Well, you know, when people talk about, I love the, the fact that you brought up the word psychology, uh, when people talk about like, oh, that's disordered eating. The behavior is not the disordered eating. The intent behind the behavior is, right? It's the psychology or, or, the, or the thought process behind the behavior. If you're like, oh no, I'm not going to eat all day because I'm fat or whatever, or I'm scared. <laughs> that might, and again, I'm not a, I'm not a disordered eating specialist. I'm not with you. And I've had a number of clients that have come to me. And one of the questions that we ask is like, do you have disordered eating? Because we'll just refer them to a doctor. 
or somebody who's a specialist. They'll say no. And then I work with them and I'm like, oh, I can't really help you that much. <laughs> right. Because yeah. you need probably like full on therapy, which again, there's, that would be way more beneficial for that type of person than a nutrition coach. Because a lot of these people like know a lot of this stuff already. Right. And they just like the psychology aspect of it is where they really struggle. So when it comes to disordered eating uh, behaviors or even like recommendations I would give to my clients, if I work with a client who I know is perfectly fine psychologically and they don't have these eating uh, disordered uh, behaviors, like I will say like, hey, if you just want to enjoy a large dinner, these are your options, right? You can restrict yourself at dinner and have a smaller dinner if that's your choice. Or you can just eat less throughout the day and then just enjoy a really big dinner and not worry about it. One or like neither option is correct or incorrect, right? It just, again, comes down to personal preference because again, it just really comes down to energy balance. So those are two different ways of manipulating energy balance, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with having a small breakfast and a small lunch and then just going in on dinner if that's not something that you do every single day, right? And again, some people actually eat like that every day and yeah. Nothing wrong with that either, right? I know uh, I did for years. Yeah, I think you're you're friends with people like Mark Bell and and Seaman mm-hmm. and all of them. And I know and Seaman in particular, like just likes having one or two really, really large meals, right? I think for yeah. a while he was doing like one meal, and it was just like a massive dinner. Yeah. yeah. But again, I think it's also different because we are in a different position and we've been focusing on these things for a really long time. Right. I would say for most people. We're just starting off. I'd recommend my starting recommendations that we talked about. Yeah, I like that. Just because those are going to work for most people, right? And then after you develop those, you can then start to tailor stuff to your personal preference, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I don't think there's anything wrong with just having like one large meal or two large meals. I know that from the evidence that we have, perhaps it's not the most optimal, but we're also not looking for optimal here. Right. Like, right. There's a and it depends of- on what we're talking about optimal. Like, are we talking about optimal to sustain activity level? Yeah. Are we, you know, there's so many different, like, what are we going to pick on? Are we going to pick on just insulin sensitivity? Then we may, you know, do something different. Maybe we don't want to be feeding all day long. But yeah. at the end of the day, though, too, even with that nuanced stuff of like insulin sensitivity and stuff, the energy balance matters more than anything. Man, and so there's a lot of, yeah. So there's a lot of people who will like in the carnivore camp, like, well, we know that if you eat only meat and fat, you know, you're going to have better insulin sensitivity. Well, that's true, but it's also true that you'd have better insulin sensitivity if your overall energy was in a deficit. You know, we just know a deficit of anything. You could eat a deficit of candy and your insulin sensitivity and your lipids and everything will likely improve. So it's, uh, yeah, I can't harp on that enough. Like the case of uh, Dr. Mark Hobb, the Kansas State guy who did the Twiki diet. I'm sure you've heard of exactly. And for those of you guys that are not listening, like this paints the picture perfectly. It's a professor who wanted to prove that essentially energy balance is what matters like more than anything for health, right? And it really does. It's not, it's not energy balance in the sense that you have to be in a deficit. Always it's the fact that like body fat is really important, right? Mm-hmm. Your body fat is likely the largest determinant or influencer on your overall health, right? And then you can talk about additional variables like you just mentioned. Um, but that's going to be the, the most important variable, right? So this professor literally did the quote unquote Twinkie diet. He didn't just eat Twinkies, but he ate pretty much just like, uh, sweets, right? Like Twinkies, donuts, just like baked goods that everybody would say are horrible for you. High in sugar, high in fat, um, like deep fried. 
tastes amazing, right? Bad foods. That's pretty much all he ate. And then he supplemented with protein powder to make sure he's getting a protein and supplemented, I think, with omega-3s and, and a multivitamin as well or something like that. Just very basic covering his basis, making sure he's not micronutrient deficient. He lost weight because he was tracking his calories and all of his health markers improved. Glycemic regulation, blood lipids, and he started off overweight. So it's the fact that if you go from being overweight to normal weight, having a healthy body composition. Oh, and I think he also developed some physical activity stuff like walking and lifting mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, and he wasn't really doing much exercise before. And all of his health markers improved, right? And it just goes to show how important like body fat and physical activity really are. And I say body fat and physical activity because physical activity does have health benefits outside of reductions in body fat, right? Like even if you were over- overweight, obviously you want to uh, over time lose weight. But if you are physically active, you're going to have better health markers at the same weight than if you're not physically active at all. Gotcha. So a little more nuanced now. What do you say to the person who says, I went on a carnivore diet and I've never felt better. My calories are the same, um, you know, and suddenly I had psoriasis. That's cleared up. I had all this, these achy joints and now I move freely. Um, you know, what do you say to those people? Because it's a lot of us will say carnivores are quacks and it's crazy, but there's a lot of people getting subjective, at least we don't know if objective, but at least subjective benefit from diets like that. What do you say to those people? And yeah, maybe just elucidate and kind of give us your opinion on things like that. Yeah. So I'm really big on education, right? So I try to educate these clients as to why a carnivore based diet may not be the best. Um, because there's just no reason to cut out all fruits and vegetables, right? Or all plant-based foods. There's just like no reason not to. And so I do like to share evidence like for the importance of fiber, for example, right? The importance of particular micronutrients. And so education is one big component. I think like you mentioned, there is many people who have subjectively reported benefits on like carnivore-based diet, right? And I think there are a couple of variables here at play that are perhaps extraneous variables that are influencing this person's uh, perception that they feel better and they're attributing it to the fact that they're just eating meat, right? First off is people have food sensitivities, right? For example, like people have sensitivities to FODMAPs, which are particular fibers in some plant-based foods, right? And if you don't know that you have that and you're eating fruits and veggies that are high in FODMAPs and you're feeling bloated all the time and then you cut those out all together, you're gonna at least acutely feel an improvement in health, an improvement in digestion, an improvement in bloating, right? It's not the fact that you're eating exclusively meat. It's the fact that you've cut out the foods that you have sensitivities to. So oftentimes I feel like many of the reported benefits are due to reductions in foods that people have sensitivities to. Two, If you also are cutting out all highly processed foods, that's likely going to play a role as well, right? Right. Three, oftentimes people, when they try to improve their health, they don't just do one thing, right? So yes, they might be following a carnivore diet, but maybe simultaneously they've also developed some other behaviors that are beneficial for their health, right? Like physical activity, for example, or, or overall reduction. I mean, you mentioned calories are the same. I don't know how many of these subjective, uh, uh, reports of improved health really is same calories. Because if you're eating 10 to 4,000 calories per day with a lot of processed foods, it's really hard to eat that with just meat. Like, 
right? Like yeah, imagine 4,000 calories of steak. Oh, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, likely, you're likely reducing your calories, right? So that is yeah. variable. I think, listen, I've never followed a carnivore diet. So I don't have the subjective experience. I know there's a ton of people who have subjectively mentioned improvements in how they feel. I think a lot of these variables that I just mentioned are at play there. Um, and we tend to just say, oh, it's the one thing, right? Just like people who, who have been lifting for a while and they're like, oh, creatine really works. I'm like, yeah, creatine works. But like, you've been working really hard. That's another variable as to why you've been building muscle, right? And people are just like, yeah. the supplement as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that also subjectively, there's a ton of people who have had horrible experiences with a carnivore diet, right? Yeah. Those aren't highlighted as much because people like to, like, I guess the, um, what's the word here? The stuff that is like newer, groundbreaking is like way more sexy on social media, right? Yeah. But if we see somebody follow this diet and they've had incredible success with it, they're going to highlight it. People are going to follow it more. People are going to share it more. So I I think the cases that um, don't have a positive experience are just not highlighted as much. But I would argue that they're probably equally uh, like as prevalent, right? Yeah. Um, It's just like, I don't know, man, from every single angle, it just doesn't make sense to just eat meat, mm-hmm. right? I'm not against a meat-focused diet where you actually eat a lot of meat, eat a lot of other stuff too. Like that's how I eat. I yeah. eat a lot of meat, right? I probably eat at least a pound of meat every day. Probably have three or four eggs every day. I also have a ton of fruits, a ton of veggies. I eat beans. Like I, I prioritize both. It just, it just does not make sense whatsoever to cut out all plant-based foods. For I agree. Yeah. Uh, I've, I recently, for the first time ever, kind of prescribed a carnivore-esque diet. And I was like trying to be, you know, because so I'll just give you the, the scenario. I had this kid who was probably in his mid-20s is dealing with like all kinds of depression and anxiety and then bouts of tachycardia. And he had all these skin issues, rashes and everything. And he would get like tachycardia after eating. He would develop rashes after eating. And he was eating strictly vegan but not for ethical reasons, just because he thought maybe that was healthier for him. And since there were so many variables and I asked him like, you know, do, does meat bother you? Do, do you mind eating it from an ethical standpoint? No, I really like red meat. I don't really like poultry and stuff. And I said, why don't you just start then just transition slowly over to just meat. And we're going to do that for a month or so. And then let's slowly add in the vegetables that you're eating now one at a time, because everything seems that, you know, he can't sell. And then we'll slowly add in. And when we find the variable that bugged you, maybe it was peas or something. Then we just know we don't eat that anymore and we can go back to a more balanced diet. So that's the only time that I use it. And I think that, you know, maybe there's some validity to that. Like you said, some people have allergies and and they're hard to tell too. Like allergy testing through serum and IGs, like it's not really good because you can, you know, some people will say they have an IG antibody to broccoli, but they're like, I tolerate it just fine. And then other people say I eat broccoli and I get a rash and their blood work would say that they're fine to eat, you know? Yeah. Um, so would you ever use it in that case? Like what I yeah. did? Yeah, two things there. I think the way you're using it is very different than the way it's um, talked about on social media. Like, this is the optimal diet. Yeah. You're using it more as like, from a scientific scientific perspective, you're trying to control as many variables as possible right. to really nitpick what's going on, right? Because most people like don't have issues with eating meat, right? Like most people are pretty fine eating meat. And so I think the way you're using it is really smart. It's just an elimination-based diet. You're not telling this person they have to only eat meat for the rest of their life. I feel like that's mm-hmm. usually the messaging that you get behind the carnivore community. It's like, 
you should only eat meat and nothing else forever, right? Which doesn't make much sense. But if you're using it periodically or temporarily, I should say, to identify particular triggers in the diet and you're slowly reintroducing foods, I think that's a really, really intelligent way of using it for sure. Um, Have you ever listened to uh, like Carnivore MD's Paul Saladino's long form content? No. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, I was actually, so I've been a, like a vocal kind of hater on him, you know, yeah. and the things that he does. But when I listen to his long form content, each time I'm like, this dude is really rational and intelligent. Like he'll literally have this conversation. Like he'll straight up say like eating only meat, that's probably not doable for a lot of people. So use it for a while and slowly add in things like he's added back in fruit and honey and syrup and all kinds of things. And he's like, for me, this works. I don't do well with vegetables. Some people might do. And I'm like, what the hell? Because this is not what you spew when you're naked in the store when you yeah. have a vegetable. <laughs> yeah, because so, he seems yeah. to really understand nutritional science and this. But unfortunately, things on social media need to be so aggressive and abrasive yeah, yeah. and crazy in order to get a following. And yeah, that's why, there's like, there's no congruency in the messaging, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, dude, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. literally what I what I feel like when I watch his videos, right? Because I know people that know him and they've said a very similar thing to you to what you just said. Yeah. And then it's like, dude, then why do you make a 30 second video saying that spinach is going to kill you? Okay. Like, it's the algorithm loves it. Yes. But then there's like no integrity, right? There's no, of course, of course. It's like, how do you develop trust? Right. Because mm -hmm. one of the biggest, at least I think one of the things that makes me trust somebody is like congruency in their thought process, congruency in their messaging. Uh, the fact that like their message stays consistent over time, right? Like all of those things uh, are important for trust. And if like your long form content is pretty well balanced, but then you say some crazy shit <laughs> in your short videos, it's like, man, like why, you know, and I know why it's just for clicks, but then it's like, well, you're not really a, I don't know, a good source of information. In it's mind. like ethically Agreed. wrong, you know, because yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm. man, that's uh, I and I'm trying to in my like recently, I've been trying to be non judgmental towards people and talked about this on the podcast. Like, I think his intent is probably how can I get the most people following me and then hopefully we'll listen to my long form content. And I understand I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Sure. And yeah. I, I think it's wrong, but I'm sh yeah. I would hope in his heart. That's what he's thinking is. I'll say something crazy. They'll listen to me and then they'll listen to my long form stuff. And maybe I can help some people because I personally feel like there's a lot of people right now who are struggling probably more than ever before. People feel like crap due to society around us. And a lot of what those guys preach, even though it's not the most evidence based, makes people feel better, you know, like go out and get sun and, you know, play outside. Don't be don't look at the computer screen, you know, eat whole foods things like that. And I mean, people feel a lot better. And then there's, there's some people though, in the community that are so like, if there's not an RTC on it or RCT on it, then it's just like bullshit. And I'm like, yeah. well, I don't, that's gotten us to where we are now to where we tell people like every food is okay. And I mean, I think you could even make an argument that if you ate, you know, the Twinkie diet, like you're probably going to feel like crap versus if you ate a whole food diet for the same like calories equated, you know, but the message on both sides is extreme because you've got one saying don't eat vegetables and you've got one saying you can eat everything because randomized control trials tell you that you can, you know, uh, it's kind of yeah. hard. Well, it is hard, you know, and I, I wouldn't say, I don't know, because I, I 
do like seeing hard evidence for things, but I do also understand anecdote and personal experience. My issue is when people share, and this is Alex, I'll, I'll share here a couple of examples. My issue is when people share something and it's fine if they share their personal experience, even if it's not evidence-based, but then they try to make it evidence-based. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout, or recovery products, make sure to check us out at outworknutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find the link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference. Choose Outwork Nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights. Yeah. That's the big okay. issue I have, Paul Saladino. I don't eat spinach. Okay, but these compounds in spinach are defense chemicals and they're gonna kill you. And like this evidence says, blah, blah, blah. Like, sure. no, that's the part I have an issue with because they, they come from a non-evidence-based perspective trying to make it evidence-based. Mm -hmm. That's the issue I have. For example, like I mentioned Mark Bell and his people over at the Power Project. I love those guys. You know why? Because they literally say, this is my experience. Mm -hmm. We're okay. trying to love you. Like, I know that I mean, the science doesn't show this, but like we follow this way of eating and it works for us. You might mm -hmm. want to try it out. It might work for you. Like that type of messaging, Adam, I have no issue with. Even if it's yeah. like, even if it's freaking carnivore. Like if somebody's just like, hey man, I only eat meat because I really like it. Like you might want to try it. It's been working for me. I've lost some weight. I feel pretty good. That's fine. But then when people try to like then rationalize their behavior or or their dietary choices and then say that it's optimal for X, Y, Z scientific reasons, that's what's like, okay, hold up. Let's actually look at the science and see what the science says, right? I think that's the frustration from the evidence-based community. It's like, and I've talked to like Lane, for example, about this and my buddy Adrian Chavez who like actively talks against these people, uh, or, or like uh, uh, against their messaging and like none of us have like we're not trying to tell people like don't avoid processed foods if you want to right or like mm -hmm. don't eat this if you don't want to we don't really care what people eat right as long as it works for you it's just the fact that like it's being rationalized by quote-unquote science that isn't really scientific you know i, I, I don't know if you saw lane's video yesterday Adam. did you get Maybe. a about Paul Saladino. Okay, so oh, I did. He's got yeah. some great ones on Paul. Uh, quite a few, actually. <laughs> so I watched them all. I'm like, by this time, like desensitized Lane's videos because I watch them every day, right? Yeah. I'm like, all right, he's debunking this guy again. But the one yesterday was really good. So it was Paul making some some random nutrition claim. I forget what it was, but he was like, and there's really good evidence for this. And then it cuts yeah. to Lane and Lane's like, I wonder what the good evidence is. And then it goes back to Paul and Paul's like, we found this book in a library in Germany that hasn't been read in, in like decades and it has dust on it and we had to translate it to English. And it says, I remember the claim, that eating organs is going to have nutrients that are really beneficial for those organs. And then it's Lane just like cracking up. The good evidence is this one random obscure book in, in Germany, you know? And But the thing is like, 
people appeal to that. That appeals to people, right? They're like, oh, yeah. wow, like this one yep. book I've never heard of, like, yep. how come we haven't heard of it? Maybe the government is trying to hide this book from us, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know, man. I like, I, I sometimes just fault the messenger, but people have to think a little bit better too, you know? Like, <laughs> if someone has right. a lot of common sense, like, come on, you're going to tell me like this one obscure book is the reason why whatever he's saying is true. I don't know. People, people tend to be very gullible as well. For sure. No, I get, I totally understand where you're coming from. That's been my argument too. Like I said, with like, you know, Paul's short form, it like pisses me off because I'm like, I, I didn't like him at all. And then I think Derek did an interview with him and I listened to most Derek stuff. I try to be supportive and I was like, why is he going to do it with this guy? And I listened, I'm like, this is weird. He's really like educated and really rational. And this is a really decent conversation. I don't hate it right now. And then I see his yeah. short form again because I'm like, oh, maybe he's changing. And then it's, you know, just this clickbait stuff again. Yeah. Kind of bugs me. Um, but the like in my. Be... Sorry, sorry. You go down. Oh, no, I don't. Go ahead. I don't even know what I was going to say. Yeah, I was saying a big issue, too, is that then like the message really spreads, right? Because, yeah, for example, it, it goes from Paul, who is like you mentioned, I haven't heard any of his long form stuff, but seems to be educated and, and have a well-balanced view. And he goes on like Joe Rogan, right? And then the message that is shared. And I, I love Joe Rogan's show. I listen to him a lot. But then when he's like, you know, you really shouldn't eat carbs because like they're just bad for you. It's like, oh my God, like that statement, it's just like so sticky, right? And I've always thought about mm-hmm. this. Like, how do you get people not to say that or like to understand? And I've come to the conclusion that like, it's just not going to happen because that message is so sticky, right? People don't want to listen to two-hour nuanced conversation to understand why they're not bad. But people hear like, oh, that one thing is bad. That's probably why I'm fat. I'm just going to cut it out. Like, yeah. And then the thing is, it's reinforced because when people cut out carbs cutting out a bunch of these processed foods, cutting a whole micronutrient out, eating less, they lose weight, they feel better. Oh my God, carbs are really bad for you, mm-hmm. right? That's why it sticks so freaking well. Because yes, like, yeah, yeah. If you cut out all carbs, including these processed foods that you're eating, probably going to eat less calories. Yeah. But that nuance just isn't there. I know the nuances. And I'm, I'm now to a point, because I started out extremely very evidence-based, but I got so sick of the negativity. It almost just warned me. Like, I don't, I feel like, I don't know, Lane, like he's the, uh, he's the epitome. He's everyone tries to copy because he's just so abrasive and yeah. shuts everybody down. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of that way for so long, but it kind of just wore on me. Cause I'm like, damn, every day I'm just telling somebody that they're an idiot for doing this and that. And, but I, I kind of, it's just like politics. Humans are so, um, polarized, you know, and they fall into their group and their camp. And I'm trying to be somewhere in the middle, like I am with politics, you know, like, but for like when it comes to politics, say the liberals got so crazy that it made the conservatives even crazier and vice versa, or maybe happened the other way. Like when Trump came in, you know, I feel like things were pretty normal and there was camps, but Trump came in and he was so conservative that it made the liberals just go insane to where like, you know, there's a million genders and all this. I'm like, what well, just happened, you know? And now it's kind of that way with like the, the evidence and then like the, I don't even, I would call them quacks, but it's kind of, you know, mean. I don't know what to say. The non-evidence-based community where they started saying things that were so crazy. Now the evidence-based, like if you look at like Adrian Chavez, like I can't watch his stuff because it's just like so negative the whole time. I'm just like, I don't need this in my life. Right? You're making a really good point, but it's so negative that I kind of, I'm like, I like the Mark Bells of the world. And that's interesting. I didn't even think of that. Why I like them is because they're not trying to say this study said this. Mark is literally saying like, 
hey, I run and I get sun and it feels yeah. good. And sometimes I take my shoes off and I put them on the grass and I don't know if grounding works, but I feel a lot better. And I'm like, that's cool. They're not like to prove that they're right. Yeah, right. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. The non-evidence-based people that try to be evidence-based, like, what are you doing? Like, your, your messaging comes from a anecdotal perspective and you're trying to make it evidence-based right. by like picking and choosing these random different little mechanism stuff, right? So to quickly touch on your point about like the Adrian Chavez thing, like I'm, I'm good friends with him. I love what he does. And I think what he does is not for everybody, but I do think it's important. Me too. Me too. Because it's like, how else do people know that these things are wrong? But one thing he does beautifully is that he explains why they're wrong, right? Lane's, Lane's perspective is he explains why people are wrong as well. But he, like you mentioned, is very abrasive. And it's like, this person's an idiot, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's educational, but it's also very satirical and it's funny. And that mm-hmm. works for him and that works to grow his audience, right? Adrian is much more calculated and like really just comes from explaining why a particular message is wrong. And one thing he did beautifully recently was with the medical medium. Do you know the medical medium? Mm-hmm. Her, yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't know until you guys started talking about yeah, it. Do you know who the medical medium is? Is this guy, this guy who like literally says that he gets all of his nutritional information from ghosts? Okay. It's a medical medium. Okay. I'm I didn't realize that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That scares me that someone I mean, like that like got a following views. as it is. But he has like a three million, three million followers, something like that. Okay. Uh, he goes live all the time on Instagram talking about whatever. And he's got thousands of people live watching him. Right. And his whole thing is that he can he can cure any disease with juicing. Okay. So he has different oh, juice talking. Oops. Sorry about that. All good. So he claims that any disease can be cleared with juicing and there's like different juicing concoctions for different diseases, which is crazy, right? And actually turn off my phone so it doesn't happen again. And so he has essentially a marketing scheme where he gives these recommendations. Obviously, X amount of people follow him. Obviously, a certain pop, certain percentage of those people see some benefits. They give him some really good uh, reviews. They give him some really good um, testimonials. Mm-hmm. Shares those, rinse and repeat. Doesn't give a flying fuck, essentially, about the people who have really bad experiences. Yep. Right? And so people with really bad experiences comment on his posts, all this stuff. They get deleted, blocked, completely ignored. And you can, you can imagine how harmful it would be to tell somebody who has a terminal disease simply have this celery juice. Absolutely. Right? And he does that. And he makes a ton of money off it, which is criminal, and he's not penalized for it. So people like Adrian bring those things up. He explains why people fall for these traps in the first place. He then explains why it's dangerous. He shared uh, somebody who, who reached out to him personally, who his sister passed away because she was following this guy's recommendations and didn't want to follow traditional medical intervention, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it was colon cancer. Breast cancer, I think. She and didn't get a mammogram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, no. or, or, and just wanted to drink these juices, right? Because people are brainwashed the same way that like televangelists brainwash people, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you have cancer? Just donate your money to God. It's going to cure your cancer. Yep. And people literally donate all of their savings. Yep. And it's, it's pretty messed up, man, right? So like, I know the calling out isn't for everybody. And I know calling out all the time can be like redundant and extreme. But I do think we need people doing it. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. 
Go ahead, Josh. No, I mean, it's just, I guess it's always sad to me because I don't know exactly who to blame. And that's obviously you can blame the medical medium. But then, as you were saying earlier, Joey, like it's for people too. I'm like, do you not like see through that? You know, can you not see how hyperbolized this is and how crazy off the wall it is? It just makes me sad because, again, I don't want to blame them and say, oh, you're dumb for falling for that because it happens everywhere to your point, even religion, politics, all of that. But like, you know. Mm -hmm how you do need somebody to cut through the crap and be like, no, this, this is what it is. And you need to see it for what it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, like we're very easily influenced, right? We're very, mm -hmm. influenced. what was the, the, the example, like the, the religious example, I think back, I don't know what year, but like where a whole bunch of people drank, drank the Kool-Aid and like dozens mm -hmm. of oh, right or whatever. Yeah, yeah. When they went down to South America, yeah, down. yeah. exactly. Right. Like yeah. it's just, Unfortunately, we're social beings. And if you really, really like somebody, you're really likely to trust anything they say. Mm -hmm. True. Um, and, you know, we don't fall for anything in the nutrition space because this is our, our profession. But I'm right. Sure. We all probably believe some bullshit in some other space, right? <laughs> we don't necessarily know whether it's true or not, you know? Like, That's true. The example I give is like, um, I don't watch any documentaries now because I've watched nutrition ones and gone like, holy shit, that's so, this sounds really convincing, but it's so wrong. So I'm afraid to go watch one on like the ocean because I don't know anything about the ocean. And if they have a message they want to, mm -hmm. you know, get across, I'm going to yeah. be so brainwashed. So, so for talking about a topic that I haven't really studied, right? Climate change. Oh yeah. And watch documentaries on climate change that literally make it sound like we're dead tomorrow. Absolutely. And then you, you listen to some other professionals who argue the complete opposite. And yeah. you can parallel that to carnivores and vegans, right? Complete opposites. They're both wrong. Right. So it's like, I don't know. I, I recently had that same thing. I listened to uh, Jordan Peterson on um, Rogan's and they were like against climate change. I'm like, hmm, maybe this is all fake, you know? And then I'm like, wait. I'm, I can't base my, my, exactly. my, my new belief exactly. off of just this but one conversation. You because you were like almost sold. I'm like 99% sold. For example, like I grew up watching Planet Earth. I love all of those documentaries. I love David Attenborough. Mm -hmm. He made the one documentary on climate change. And the first time I watched it, I was like, holy fuck, like this is horrible. Like what, in 20 years, we're just all going to like not be here. And like, it's crazy. And then I'm like, watch some other stuff that's completely opposite. And it's like, Unfortunately, there's no way of me really knowing. Yeah. yeah. Unless maybe I spent the next 10 years of my life studying this stuff. Right. There's no other way. Like, there's no other way. So at the end of the day, it does come down to trust, right? Because even like for general public, I feel like the stuff we mentioned is so basic, and so simple to understand. But it's also really hard for us to position ourselves in the position of somebody who knows nothing, mm -hmm. right? So even when I share a message, like if somebody were to ask me like, if somebody were to ask me, why is your argument correct? I could explain it with evidence. Mm -hmm. But if somebody asked me, why should I believe you over somebody else? That's the part that I have a really hard time believing, like explaining, right? Because like at the end of the day, if you're not a professional in the field, you're basing your, your thought process off of who you trust, mm -hmm. right? True. Um, I also feel like that's a way that you build trust though too is by not because there are some people that would say you should believe me over others and yeah. have a reason for that but by you know having the humility to say well i can't really give you an exact reason yeah. builds a little bit of trust there too yeah. unfortunately not though i don't think because i think human psychology you know if i came on and said i'm an ex expert i'm an expert i'm an expert and i spoke with certainty 
yeah. people's minds, True. you know, subconsciously would go, he's an expert. But when I go on and I say, maybe, you know, perhaps, you know, it's possible that they're like, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. He doesn't say things. He doesn't say vegetables are going to kill you because that's authority. You're that dude knows what he's talking about. He says it with, you know, he, he, he's got, he puts some uh, emphasis on that. Yeah. And so oh, that's naive on my part. And that's why charlatans, you know, always <laughs> built such a following. Right. And even, even in other spaces, man, like even less extreme than like climate change, for example, when I first started posting on social media, right. I started following these social media gurus mm-hmm. and it's like, make your posts <laughs> this way, make your videos that way. Yes. Yes. And I, I never questioned it. I was like, oh my God, let me just make my post this way. Cause this guy's yeah. saying so and his following is a little bit bigger than mine. Right. It's like, where's he getting his information from? Cause social media posts is not like a hardcore science, right? Like yeah. there's no, like, I don't know, maybe there are like studies on like the way you structure your carousels or like videos. I know some of that is psychology and obviously there's some evidence behind it, but like, it's just the fact that like, we just tend to follow what somebody says, right? On social media, I'm sure you guys get the ads all the time for like, I'm a social media marketing expert and I've heard, I've helped dozens of people get million plus followers and make 10K per month. It's like those really extreme claims, like I almost immediately believe them, right? I'm like, Mm. oh my God, this guy helps people make 100K per month going from zero to hundred K in the next three months. Like how the hell does he does it? Does he do it? What secret does he have? It, it immediately like builds interest, right? Or curiosity. And like, you want to go buy your program. That's the same exact tactic in nutrition, right? Yeah. This medical medium guy is like, I speak to ghosts. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that alone back up to like, let people believe in that shit. You know, some people yeah. believe in that shit. They're like, yeah. oh my God, like this guy is a medium. Yeah. Let me go see his nutrition secrets. And what yeah, especially if you're already into that type of stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I get, I, like I said, I have nothing against like Adrian Chavez or use him as an example. I yeah. just personally don't listen to it now because I'm just like, well, this is really negative. And I know him and I would see eye to eye on probably everything he's talking about. I'm sure be like, I agree. Yeah. I do appreciate content like yours now at this point because I don't feel like, I mean, even if you try just, you know, I'm going to tell you, you're not very good at being harsh to people because you're a nice dude, you know, and I know you try to sometimes, but that's just yeah. not your brand. And it's like, it doesn't yeah. fit well, even if you try to, because you're really I would nice. never, ever make a video saying, this guy's a fucking idiot. And I just yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the way you got to do it, you know? Yeah. Like, but yeah, I like, so there's like, like half acid. It doesn't, somebody well. else I really uh, like look up to would be like Peter Atia. I've never once seen him once. He doesn't even like, he'll, he's never said Paul Saladino's name though. I know he's got to, you know, adamantly disagree with him because he's such a lipid lowering guy that he would hate to the fact that he would uh, condone so much saturated fat or allow so much saturated fat in a diet, but he never once says it. It's just, I totally understand your point and it's good. I'm glad we kind of you know, had this uh, talk where it's hard for people who aren't like us, who aren't educated, who can see through things, you yeah. know, yeah, it's hard for them to know who to listen to for sure. I mean, I like Peter Atia because he's not doing that stuff. I like you because you're not doing that stuff. But I think it is important too to have the other side that puts you know the crazies in check. Yeah, uh, you know, they're both of them are keeping each other in check. And then there's some people of us in the middle. Unfortunately, we'll probably never grow to the levels of, you know, we're never going to grow to the lane level because we're not going to call people you know idiots, and we're not going to grow to the carnivore level because we're not going to say a crazy thing like "Don't eat this," you know. But yeah, yeah, for those, uh, I guess we can maybe wrap it up with like, what would your advice be? So if somebody is getting into this space, like what kind of things do you look for since it is so hard not knowing 
who is talking the truth? What would you look for in somebody? You know, are there any telltale signs that maybe this person is a good source of evidence? Yeah, well, I think it's easier to point out bad sources of evidence. Mm-hmm. And so essentially things to not look for or to look for and stay away from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the number one thing is just blanket statements, right? Yeah. Black or white type of dichotomous thinking when it comes to nutrition. Um, if anybody ever says this food is bad or this food is the food you have to eat without any nuance around it, it's just wrong, right? Paul Saladino, great example, short form content. Oats are bad. Oxalates are going to kill you. Like, what are you talking about, right? So just like, statements like that are, are just not the best. Um, I'd say that is the biggest one because I'd say pretty much everybody that I consider a bad source of information does that. Yeah. And I would say that everybody who I consider a good source of information does not do that. If you see somebody who uses the words like perhaps, maybe in these contexts and provides their statement and then a little bit more explanation, I would say that that's a better source of information, right? It's really hard. I think it's really, really hard to point out this person is directly a good source of information if you don't know anything. Because even the people that I consider good sources of information, we still fuck up, right? Like I've posted videos where like after the fact that somebody has brought something up, like, oh, that's a really good point. Like I shouldn't have said that this way or, or like maybe that wasn't super accurate unintentionally, right? So people who are good sources of information aren't necessarily always right. That's the thing, right? And if you follow somebody who is essentially always saying that they're right and just giving these very simple explanations, black or white explanations as to why what they're saying is right, and don't ever try to see a different point of view, that's probably straight up just like a bad source of information, right? And then with good sources of information, I think it's a range. It's not like good or bad, right? Some people are better sources of information than others. And those others may not even be like bad sources of information. Maybe they just lack a little bit of nuance or stuff like that, right? Like, for example, um, like we were talking about Mike Bell and stuff. I love those guys. I wouldn't say their information is bad because they're not inherently uh, causing harm or purposefully lying, but I wouldn't say their information is the best either, right? Right. So it, it definitely is a continuum there. And I really do think it just takes time, man. Like if, you know, if somebody listening literally has never ever focused on their health and they're starting day one there's no way to avoid confusion and avoid messing up there's just no way so it's trial and error it takes time ideally you can take some of these recommendations some of these perspectives avoid certain types of information ideally you can fast track your way to where you're in a position where you can detect bullshit right and avoid things that are not necessary but there's going to be some mess ups along the way and that's Awesome. I think that's great advice for people for sure. Um, and just, yeah, there's no, for those listening, like in science, there's very few absolutes, you know, Joey maybe touched on one thing that I would say that he would take to the grave, which is, you know, calories in versus calories out is yeah. going to be essential for, but all the other things there was probably potentially is, and we see, or we find that, you know, things where, like you said, like, uh, I don't know, talking about carbohydrates, maybe you would say maybe, or a potentially better source for this reason. Like, you know, for me, I, there's a very few things I would say are absolute. Like, I think 
uh, elevated ApoB containing particles cause heart disease. I can pretty much say I would say that directly. But other yep. than that, I would. There's very few things in health in general that I can say for sure. I can say this thing has been shown to potentially. Um, and if people are telling you that this X equals Y for sure, end of story, that's not a very good source, as Joey pointed out, I think very eloquently. I think that's great for people. Uh, any other questions for him, Josh? Oh, man, I think this has been awesome, though. I mean, just the reminder that there are plenty of trustworthy people out there that, you know, and I think, too, with you, Joey, the probably service that you provide that's the best to me is just like taking an everyday person and giving them a basic roadmap to follow, but also teaching right. them along the way. So that as you were saying, like when you come into it, just like when we all first got started, you're like in the headlights, probably even more so nowadays. Um, but having somebody that's going to coach you along, but then allow you to formulate what's going to work best for you years down the road, even when they may not be working with you anymore, is just so important. So I think what you do is awesome. And I hope this episode is very insightful for a lot of our uh, listeners. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Truly. Any, uh, anything else you wanted to say, Joey? No, uh, should I pretty much wrap it up with sharing my socials and stuff like that? I or? was definitely going to tell. Yeah. To let people know where they could find you for sure. Yeah, man. I, I really enjoyed this talk, by the way. I know we started off with like talking about science and then we started talking about a bunch of social media stuff, but that was a lot of fun, man. Awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, and if you guys want to find me on social media, it's just at Dr. Joey Munoz. That's dr. Joey M U N O Z. Same on TikTok, which I never post on there anyway. Facebook, uh, <laughs> and then my podcast is the Dr. Joey Munoz Show. And I'd love to guess to to have you guys on. We could have a conversation about that another time. But yeah, that'd be fun. Really His really podcast is really good, by the way. For, for like. I think that's why I started out with uh, those who are just starting because I think you're perfect for somebody who's just starting. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't send, and maybe I could send, you know, somebody who's wanting to get into the small intricacies of their health. I think you're very, you know, very educated and could help that yeah. person. But I think your content right now works really well for the masses who are just starting out and are confused by all of the noise. And you have a lot of good signal that can get people you know, 90% of the way, 95% of the way I say, and you know, if you want that 5% where you want your abs to be, you know, veiny, you know, see, yeah. see a bodybuilding coach, but Joey is going to be this person who helps you improve your insulin sensitivity and lower your lipids and live longer and healthier and feel better. Um, which 95% of us, 99% of us need, you know? Yeah. Dude, it's funny that you mentioned that because, and this will be the last thing I say, I feel right. like I can stop literally forever. But um, I actually, when I started posting content and doing social media stuff, I was the opposite. Like just talking about very nuanced topics. Mm -hmm. This is like two years ago, right? Like, for example, talking about like why the, the chain length of different saturated fats is important, how they differentially affect like atherosclerosis and stuff like that, right? Like so, so nuanced because I, I had the perspective of like the smarter I can seem, the more people mm -hmm. will want to listen to me. Yeah. yeah. And like partially true, but also doesn't really like it doesn't really help any people right like right unless it's no. just the people that like like learning about this stuff exactly um and then it was like right from a career perspective i'm coaching people i really want to help as many people improve overall health and like you mentioned this stuff is going to give you 95 99 of the benefit right this basic yeah. stuff. and i also realized like there's not a lot of people talking about the basic stuff there's actually not right like if you see, look at some of the bigger names in the evidence-based space mm -hmm. Actually, talking about more nuanced things, mm -hmm. right? And so I was like, okay, this is actually a, a pretty good niche because 
I like this stuff. It could help a ton of people. There's not a ton of people talking about this stuff. And even the people that are, are just like, perhaps not as educated. So I thought that was my like, my like unique perspective. It's like, I'm, I'm very educated on these things, but I'm going to help you uh, develop the basics, right? Because even Dude, like even from a resistance training perspective, I am a freaking like resistance training nerd. Like I, all the content I watch is about lifting. I know mm-hmm. every study about like volume, intensity, exercise selection, all that shit. I know it all, but that's not the content that I put out, right? Like if somebody came to me and literally told me I want to optimize my training to get as jacked as possible, I really do think I'm on par with some of the top names in terms of like the information I know and how to, how to implement it and all that stuff because I love that stuff, but it's just... One from like a marketing perspective, I'm like people just listen to dudes that are jacked, and I'm not the most jacked dude, so it's probably not going to be the best choice for me. I beg to differ on that, man. And watching you squat is impressive too, by the way. With how tall you are, too, Ask I know you've joked about it. Yeah, I, I pride myself on my range of motion, not my the weight I use. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, if you look at all top bodybuilding coaches, they are not bodybuilders. Yeah, you know, they're most of them are like they don't look like they ever lifted. I'm like, how are you even so into bodybuilding? That you know all the intricacies because you don't look like you've ever even done a curl. Yeah, it's well, funny. you know, it's funny because all of my clients' like, requirements work with me as resistance training. I don't take on a client who's not going to lift. Mm-hmm. I did at first, and it's just like they wouldn't see that many benefits. It's yeah. like people like just wanted to focus on nutrition. It's like, hey, there's not much here, and this isn't going to make a huge difference in your health. Like you have to lift. And then so all of my clients now who start lifting with me have a little bit of prior experience. But I've found it really rewarding to to teach people who have a little bit of experience some of these more nuanced things, right? Yeah. Like maybe they've been lifting, but with like okay technique, okay frequency, intensity is not there. So talking about intensity, range of motion, uh, controlling your eccentrics, right? Pauses between eccentrics and concentrics, just like really training optimally for hypertrophy. And so I still get a little bit of mix in that with my clients, which is really nice. No, yeah, I'm happy. I love your brand. And that's why I just want to um, encourage people to go listen because you know, there are like, you know, Huberman talking with Andy Galpin, the three of us can listen to that and go, that's really cool. Cause they're getting yeah. into the physiology on it. But, and I know a lot of people drive and listen, but it's so hard to like synthesize that into like, Oh, they just had a really interesting conversation about VO two max and you know, all the units of measurement that went into that. But how do I make that work on the treadmill in my, you know, mm-hmm. in my gym at my apartment, and that's where people like Joey come in where he can, he's, he knows all the complexities and has, synthesized into a very actionable usable for the everyday person you know so i like his content a lot listen to his podcast um we'll put all the links down below and follow him on social media because he's a nice guy he'll make you happy i I, like i said you're a terrible dick man you're just never going to be able to do that (laughs) because you you just when you listen to you're like that's a really nice guy i could hang out with him he would be your nice friend that's so funny man i always i always think i always wonder how people perceive me and Consistently, I think you're very nice. Like, oh, you just seem like a nice guy. I'm like, oh, really? Thanks. (laughs) Keep it up. No, I think it's good. I think we need more of that. I'm so sick. I'm so sick of the negativity and the craziness on both sides. I love people like you who are just happy and giving a good message and really don't seem to be trying to pull one over on anybody. And, you know, I know that, you know, you could grow your content saying other things um, and you've chosen not to. So it's cool. It's honorable and awesome. But thanks so much, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody else, we'll see you guys on the next episode.